0: Let's read together from God's Word as we turn once again to the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 2 and verse 39. Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord. They returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? And they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. We often think of the Gospels as biographies of Jesus. In one sense they are, and yet they are very different from what we understand as biography. If you were to be reading the biography of some famous person, uh, someone in whom you were interested, uh, and you discovered that really the first 30 years of their life was just missing. You would perhaps uh, feel up to a point you'd been deceived by what you'd bought. And yet, when we turn to the Gospels, we discover that the first 30 years of Jesus' life uh, are passed over in the Gospels almost in silence. It was birth. We have the uh, presentation in the temple a few weeks old that we uh, looked at last time. Uh, but really, up until he's 33, uh, we hear virtually nothing uh, about Jesus' life. Uh, and naturally, of course, we'd love to know something uh, about those early years. Uh, what did he do? What kind of child was he as he grew up? What was he like at, at school? How did he relate to his brothers and sisters? So many questions and naturally were curious uh, to know. Uh, And that's one of the reasons why there were some uh, early on who wrote, I suppose we'd call them really pseudo-gospels, that of course aren't in our Bible, largely inventions, imagination, primitive novels in a way, about the early life of Jesus. Uh, And often you find dramatic stories, the one where Uh, He made birds out of clay, and then he miraculously brought them to life, things like that. Uh, And you find many uh, stories like that in in these Gospels. Uh, Some have made their way into the uh, New Testament Apocrypha. You may be familiar with some of the books from the Old Testament Uh, Apocrypha. You'd find them in Roman Catholic Bibles, for example, in the middle of the Bible. There's New Testament Apocrypha as well, and some of these Uh, gospels, often with an apostle's name attached. Uh, You you can read some of this fairly wild, imaginative stuff, but we can understand the temptation to fill in the gaps uh, that we'd love to know more uh, about. But in fact, in the New Testament and the gospels, uh, there's only one event recorded from those years. But surely that tells us this must be particularly significant. If this is the one thing out of 33 years of Jesus' life that's recorded in the Gospels, this has got to be particularly significant. And so we come to the last section of Luke 2 uh, this morning. And we're turning to Luke 2 and verses 41 to 52. In his father's house. In his father's house. Here is this single glimpse of 33 years of Jesus' earthly life. And we see first in the record here a godly family. A godly family. It is a very precious glimpse, isn't it, of Jesus' human family, flesh and blood relatives. Note verse 41, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. It's one of the great annual feasts, of course, had tabernacles and uh, so forth. And Passover was the preeminent feast. Uh, if you weren't able to go for the other feast times, This was the one you would really try to attend. Passover had priority over all the others. It was such a significant time for the Jews as they looked back to God's working in their history. And you see here that Jesus is placed in a family where there are people of faith, believing godly parents, People who were willing to make the effort and incur the expense of a journey up to Jerusalem and staying there for the whole period of the Passover. It wasn't a trivial thing. It wasn't inexpensive. And no doubt there, there were plenty of people who just didn't bother. But oh, we must do it sometime. We'll have to do that. And never did. But here are Jesus. Parents every year making their way up, going clearly with uh, with family, with friends. You can imagine a whole uh, party going up uh, from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the feast. Here are people of faith. This is more than a social occasion. Of course, people would go to have time with their relatives and to meet people they hadn't seen since last Passover. But there's much more going on uh, here at a spiritual level. They're going up to worship God. They're going up to remember the great things God has done for his people. We can hear the spirit uh, of people like Mary and Joseph and their relatives. uh, In Psalm 122, for instance, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, that would be true of any occasion for worship for a believer. But that's one of the songs of ascents, like Psalm 121 uh, we sang a few minutes ago. And there, Psalm 122, maybe Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the friends and family sang it as they, they journeyed up to Jerusalem. They may very well have done. But those songs of ascents were particularly pilgrim songs They were associated with people going up for these great feast days. Occasions when people who delighted in the Lord would sing praise. They would rejoice to be able to to go and be part of the worship that God had ordained for his people. Yes, it would be great to have friends there and to be able to catch up on the news much, perhaps, as we associate with church, perhaps more so uh, in easier times. But if that's all it was, then really church would just become a social club, and you could do that anywhere. And the same for these feast days like Passover. Here are spiritually minded people going up to worship the Lord. Mary and Joseph are part of that. Jesus goes along with them. And so it's, as we've noted already, it's into such a godly family that the Messiah is placed. God very carefully has prepared and chosen the family into which the Messiah will be placed. The visit to Jerusalem isn't just a a once-a-year religious activity. It's part of a godly lifestyle that his parents were living. They were setting a godly example to their growing boy. They they were going to worship. They were taking him along with them. And so we, we see Jesus, just in this one little episode, we see Jesus growing up Uh, in a a godly family, in a context of living faith. He's 12. When he's 13, he will uh, take bar mitzvah, son of the covenant, when he begins to take adult responsibilities as part of the Jewish community. There's an important stage in his life. But that's the context, a context of faith of worship. Uh, It is exactly the environment Uh, In which the Messiah would be placed to prepare him and to shape him according to his human nature for the work that lay ahead. It's significant, surely, that this particularly relates to the Passover. We said it's the preeminent feast out of the old calendar of the Jews. But significant that the Messiah should go up to Jerusalem for Passover. This was a feast, you'll recall, that was instituted by God at the Exodus. And we looked at this when we were going through uh, the first part of Exodus, chapter twelve, chapter thirteen. It was a feast that celebrated the deliverance of God's people. And how were they delivered? they were delivered by the shedding of the blood of a lamb a sacrifice was offered in every home before the people went out from egypt the blood of a lamb was shed and when God saw the blood of course he passed over the israelites the means of deliverance was the blood of the lamb and it's not difficult to make the connection, is it, with what's happening here? Here at Passover, a lamb died. Blood was shed, recalling what God had done for his people in Egypt. And who now is present in the temple? John the Baptist tells us, John 1.29, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For hundreds of years, lambs have died at Passover. But now the fulfillment of all of those lambs has come. They won't be needed after this. The Lamb of God is there in the temple. The fulfillment of Passover has come. He's present. And now he is about to do his work in God's time. That will do away with the need for Passover and animal sacrifices and all of that. The Lamb of God has come. And he's in the temple. He's in the place where the Lamb would be sacrificed. And he ultimately will be sacrificed. Some... 20 plus years later, to bring salvation, to bring what those lambs on the altar couldn't ever bring. The fulfillment is here. That's why it's such a significant episode. That is at least one of the reasons why that is the single incident from those 33 years that's recorded in the Gospels, because it tells us the fulfillment of Passover has come and the Lamb of God is present. A godly family. Secondly, we have a unique son. A unique son. You can imagine the the episode very readily, I'm sure, that they're returning to Nazareth. There's a whole collection of relatives and friends and the youngsters are running to and fro between the different families and enjoying themselves with their uh, their, their cousins and whatever else and suddenly disaster verse 43 through to 46 eventually after a day's journey well on the way home Mary and Joseph discover Jesus is not with them very possibly each one thought he was with the other or he's with some of his relatives or some of the friends Very natural, a crowd of people. You can't keep track of youngsters. But finally dawns on them he's not there at all. They've been on the road for a day. They've no choice. They've got to turn, let everybody else go on. They head back to Jerusalem. Another day. Two days gone. And then a third day's searching. That makes up the after three days of verse 46. A day searching Jerusalem, finally they find him. He's in the temple courts, verse 46. Two particular things stand out about Jesus as they discover him there in the temple. First of all, you see he is a learner. He's a learner. Sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Now, it's not unusual uh, for young Jewish boys to attend the, the debates of the rabbis. It's almost in some ways be a spectator sport. Uh, and if you've ever heard uh, Jews or Jewish scholars debating and arguing it, it is like unarmed combat and they know the rules and they know what they're doing but the young men would come and they'd sit and they'd listen to the scholars and the experts and the argue to and fro and wasn't unusual, but certainly unusual. a 12 year old to be doing that. And you see this growing boy at age 12 is a learner. And he's there to learn. You know, traditionally, and you often find in Christian art, it's Jesus debating, disputing with the teachers. There's no suggestion he's disputing, that he's arguing or disagreeing with them. He's listening. He's learning. He's asking questions. His human mind needs to be nurtured and educated. Don't for a moment slip into thinking the human mind of Jesus at 12 years old knew everything. The human mind of Jesus still doesn't know everything. It couldn't contain it. He's a 12-year-old. He has to learn. He has to be shaped. And this is part of the process. Only his divine mind could know all things. He's a real 12 year old. Unusual in some ways, as we'll see. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers, verse 47. He's not your average 12 year old, no doubt about that. There's something different that people can discern as they watch him and listen to him. There's something special about this child people can see there is a depth of spiritual understanding uh, that is certainly very unusual, if not unparalleled. And yet, it's not such that people are just overwhelmed with a conviction, this is God, this is the Messiah. They're not. They can listen, they can be amazed, they're impressed. But to them, he still A 12-year-old, maybe very precocious and of striking ability, but he's a 12-year-old. He's a learner. His human mind is being nurtured and fed and shaped. He's learning about the Scriptures. Can you imagine Jesus as he learns the, 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 the law and the prophets and coming to understand that he fulfills a passage like Isaiah 53? despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and coming to the point where he understands, that's me. And in the Psalms that we sing, and Jesus as he sang them, coming to understand, that's me. Learning about Passover, understanding the shedding of the blood of the Lamb, and coming to realize, it'll be my blood. We can hardly really fathom the, the processes of Jesus and his humanity developing and his understanding. But he did. He's a learner. But also we see he is the Son. He is the Son. That is a very natural uh, scene. Mary, she is relieved. She is angry. She's doesn't know what she's feeling and she rebukes him she's stressed out of her mind she's searched for him in Jerusalem she's finally found him and her natural reaction why have you treated us like this verse 48 she's relieved she's found him she's angry She deserts. all of that just crowds in on her at this moment And Jesus responds, verse 49, why were you searching for me? It's not that he's unfeeling or doesn't understand, but he seems to have expected that they would know where to find him. That perhaps in a sense the temple would be the first place they would look. And the crucial words are there in verse 49, the second part of the verse, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? It could also be translated that I had to be about my father's business to get in the older versions. It could be either. Hard to call. Which is better? Probably I had to be in my father's house is slightly more likely. But do you see the contrast? Mary, why have you treated us uh, like this? She is stressed. She is anxious. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Your father and I. And then Jesus says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? That's not Joseph's house. course it's not. There are two fathers here. There are two different fathers in view. Joseph, yes, fills the role of father in the earthly family. He has an important role to play. But there is another and a greater father whose son Jesus is. And that is what he's talking about. He understands that, yes, Joseph, in a sense, is his father. But there is a greater father, the eternal, everlasting God. And Jesus is his son. And it's his will that he has come to fulfill. That's why it's such a striking expression. Even at this early age, 12 years old, Jesus has a profound awareness. So an awareness, first of all, of a relationship. That's clear, isn't it? A relationship that he bears to God. This was not a, a, a usual way for Jews to speak, to refer to God as my father. Yes, God was a father to his people, but that individual sense just wasn't how they would speak about God. And when Jesus uses those words, we've a a very significant glimpse into the relationship that he bore to his father in heaven. No doubt he had much still to learn about it, but he knows even now that his father, his real father, is in heaven, whose house the temple is. He's a profound awareness of a relationship, and he's a profound awareness of a task, a task that he is to perform. He knows he has come with a mission, and there's been nobody in history with a more powerful sense of mission than Jesus had. John and his gospel brings that out particularly clearly. And so in John 4, 34, he speaks of carrying out the will of him who sent me and finishing his work. This is a man with a mission and at 12 years old, he knows that. He knows he's come with a work that he must do. There's that must, you know, did you not know what I must be? In my father 's house, there's no option about this. it's not just a hobby, it's not just somewhere he went out of interest. He must be there. It is part of the father 's will for him. A profound awareness of a relationship, the profound awareness of a task, his understanding of that task, no doubt, will grow as he develops and matures. But even at 12, he knows he's come with work that he must do. Work that he must do for sinners like you and me. He is a unique son. Godly family, a unique son. And At the end of the chapter, we have an abundant blessing. An abundant blessing. Another little glimpse of his home life. Go back down. We're told verse 51. He went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. He is the perfect son. He is obedient to his parents. He's not strutting around the house thinking I'm the Messiah. I'm special. I'm God's son. Everybody's got to jump to what I say. Far from it. He is a godly adolescent, a godly young man. He is the perfect pattern of humanity. And the focus now he's back home in Nazareth, he's going on uh, developing our mitzvah 13, all the responsibilities that would uh, come to him. The focus is on Jesus very clearly. Joseph disappears from Luke's gospel entirely. He disappears from all the gospels very early on. The assumption, I think it's probably right, is that Joseph was a fairly old man when he got married, and he dies when Jesus is quite young. He certainly disappears. And when there's a stir among the, uh, the neighbours and others, they talk about don't we know his mother and his brothers and sisters and father's not mentioned. Joseph probably has gone fairly early on. Mary, well, again, verse 19, she treasured all these things. And again, more to treasure, more to ponder. Turn it over in her thoughts, quiet moment. What does it mean? What's the significance? Understand this, I'm not clear about that, what happening. God, of course, is working in her heart, helping her to understand. But again, it's interesting, in Luke's gospel, Mary is mentioned only once more, only once more in the entire gospel. The focus is always on Jesus. You can read about her chapter 8, uh, from verse 19, when she and the family want to see Jesus, they can't get close to him. Now there are other things recorded in other Gospels, but Mary fades into the background very quickly. That There is no uh, fuel in the Gospels for a focus on Mary and putting her in a position of prominence. The Gospels don't do that. The focus is entirely on Jesus. His earthly family recedes into the background. His brothers didn't believe on him until after the resurrection. is that interesting? They grew up with him for 30 years, some of them. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. They saw him at school, at home and he was a normal human being. After the resurrection, they came to faith but not before. Attention again is diverted away from them. No encouragement to imagination or myths or stories about his family life. Nothing in the Gospels. All the focus is on Jesus. The Messiah is absolutely central. Again, you have a significant description of his development. He grew in wisdom and stature our understanding of Jesus and his human nature has to include that. He did mature. He did develop. He did grow in wisdom and stature. Normal mental and physical development of this young man. This true humanity. He lacked nothing of human nature. And that's vital. Because if Jesus doesn't have a complete human nature... He's not able to save us as complete human beings. It is often used by the early uh, church theologians. What he didn't assume, he didn't save. And if he didn't assume full human nature, body and soul, he can't save us as full human beings. But there it is, mentally, physically, Spiritually, he grows, matures, develops. And it's in a setting of blessing, isn't it? In favor with God and men. See, there's an attractiveness about his personality. In favor with men as well as with God. It's very striking that the same expression is used of Samuel. If you look back at 1 Samuel 2 uh, and verse 26... The boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with men. Interesting. And there are echoes of Hannah's song in the song Mary Sings. A lot of echoes of Samuel in this account. Or again a verse like Proverbs 3 and verse 4. With love and faithfulness, You will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. Here is a grace-filled, spirit-empowered man in union with a divine nature in a unique way, fully human, fully God, fully equipped to be our Saviour. And here is the Lamb of God in the temple at Passover. And the fulfillment of all the promises and all the hopes of the Old Testament is underway. It's simply a matter of time, God's time, until the work is done. Here he is, grace filled, spirit empowered Messiah, our Saviour. Make sure you're trusting in him for salvation because there's no salvation, there's no hope anywhere else, only in Christ, only in Messiah Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Make sure you're trusting in him in 2021. The Lord's given you another year, another opportunity. If you haven't come to Christ as yet, don't waste it. Don't waste it. You might do many things in 2021, but you'll never do a greater, more important thing than this a thing with eternal significance. Most of what we'll do will disappear. It'll come, it'll go. This will never go. Don't make the mistake of putting it off, of neglecting it, of ignoring it. This is what life ultimately is about. And without Christ, we really have nothing. Nothing that will last. And nothing of value. Don't get it wrong.